but the Genghis Tron song, you know, it's been what, 13 years, I think 10, 10 to 13 years, somewhere in between that, a long time, something like that. And, you know, it's a long time to wait for basically, uh, in a way I'm not complaining in a way I am, uh, board up the house too. And like by board up the house too, I mean, literally the song, like, like you were mentioning, does any band use triplets more than them? It's that same kind of middle section from the title track of their last album. Yeah. But it's this, very similar. It's very, very similar. And, and in one way it kind it feels so intentional, but this time, instead of kind of going to extremely kind of chaotic hardcore places or anything like that, it's much more like the building, the layered, like, lots of layers on top it's it's it was very cool there's a lot of stuff going on like i made sure to listen to it with good head good headphones um to hear all the kind of like intricacies of like things that were going on and and i thought that was really cool but it's it's weird to after 13 years that to be the first song they release like i guess i'm hoping that it's on purpose to be like hey remember the last album we want to remind you kind of what we sounded like because they certainly don't sound anything like dead mountain mouth anymore which is fine. Yeah. But, well, we, you know. well, maybe, I mean, like th- there could be more of the kind of like the, the cyber grind thing. I mean, but to be fair, I was, I was going back and listening and I have a lot of fond memories of cloak of love and dead mountain mouth. Uh, but the one that really, the, I was just really impressed with board up the house. Me too. Uh, me too. Like it really, I, and I remember that being kind of the weakest one for me at the time. I went, oh, why can't this sound like the other two? Uh, but listening this time, I was like, that uh, that is a fantastic, mature, really thoughtful, like thoughtfully constructed album. And unique. Like and unique, De- yeah. Dead Mountain Mouth and all that was very cool. But I remember at the time being like, oh, this kind of sounds like, you know, massive Dillinger influence, but with electronic drums kind of thing. Uh, I don't know if I were to listen to it again today, if I would have the exact same kind of takeaway of it, but that is how I felt at the time. It was, it was, you know, I, I felt seen um, because yeah. uh, by, by myself, because I, I realized that I don't know if I appreciated Genghis Tron at the time for being uh, for, for, for what they were doing, but more, sorry, sorry, I should, I should rephrase that. I think I, I think I liked them for, what they were doing on the sort of macro level, which is like, oh, look at how look at how uh, gimmicky, look at this gimmick, like it's grind, and then it's like, then there's like trip hop, a yeah. trip hop part, and then there's like, there's trance music, yeah. like isn't that so novel? Isn't that so crazy? Like <laughs> this, this is the kind of stuff that I like, and I think because board of the house sounded a bit more like a just a bit more cohesive. I think I was yeah, like, it's, oh, an, al- it's an album. Like it feels yeah, like an yeah. album. Yeah. I think I would, I was like, where are all the like random switches to trance music from like this breakdown that was hilarious. And now like, no, no, it's real music now. It's so boring. Yeah. Well, and guess who produced board up the house. That's a great segue. Look. <laughs> it's an amazing segue. Cause Kurt Ballou produced it well i think it was him and the band but he had also i think produced dead mountain mouth as well but it's a great segue into episode three of Hearwax two where alec and myself logan will talk about 
uh, Death Wish, the label, not the movie starring uh, what's his face, super violent guy. <laughs> but uh, what is his name? God, what is his name? It's not Tom Char- Charles Bronson. It's Charles Manson. Right? It's I forgot. Charles How could I forget? Manson. How could I forget? Yeah, but we're gonna talk about uh, Death Wish Records, the label, of course started by Jacob Bannon of of Converge and talking about its its influence from when it kind of started I don't know the exact start date of Deathwish but it certainly became the place Pretty sure to it's be. the year 2000 is it cuz I was going to say like in the 2000s you know it really started becoming a thing and that was you know at the same time Converge was becoming really a thing cuz Jane Doe was 2001 right so I thought it was 2000, but I might be wrong about that. Well, 2000, 2001. So, you know, Converge starts becoming what they would, you know, now 20 years later be kind of looked at as, as legends. Uh, the label itself, I think the label's influence is pretty, pretty monumental. And we felt like it was a good time to dive into hardcore. We, we've been talking about metal a lot in the last couple podcasts you know, we keep mentioning, you know, kind of black metal bands, death metal bands. So the, the flip side of that is, is kind of hardcore, which on its surface, I think is seen as a lot more straightforward than maybe those other genres we've been focusing on. But, you know, I mean, we, we have maybe a soft spot for hardcore because it was kind of what led to us kind of meeting in, in the scene in, in Toronto and starting to make music together and all that. But there's overlap between some of that death metal we've talked about and some of the hardcore that Death Wish would put kind of front and center stage where metal and hardcore, like it's, it's really the definition of what metalcore is. It's, it's metal or death metal mixed with hardcore. But what metalcore has kind of become as a genre tag would not be that, but it all, it all really does start with converge when you say. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, um, I, I always have seen hardcore and metal as like two, two brothers and they, they are fundamentally different. They are united. I think in, in, the, in the greater consciousness, like I think, you know, when people think, you know, that screamo stuff, you know, metal and hardcore, uh, I'm, I'm talking about the way that the public uses the word screamo. We'll probably use the word screamo in a more appropriate um, and it's more appropriate term. And what it My chemical romance. My chemical <laughs> <is> screamo. <laughs> yeah. Metal and hardcore are these two, two polars, I think, in terms of ethos and being a fan of extreme music, aggressive music. Is, is this dance that you do between both, I think. And, and, and your mood, I think, can shift closer to one or closer to the other. And both represent each end of a spectrum. Converge were not the first to combine those two polars in interesting ways, but they were the most definitive, yeah. in my opinion. I think a great majority of the population would agree with that. Yeah, and they were, I mean, when we're talking about what they were bringing together, 
it's it's funny to look back and how like the the thrash elements i mean so many bands that come out now who are kind of well regarded in the hardcore scene still are doing the kind of so much of it is thrash really like yes it's hardcore there's d beats and has that energy and maybe the vocals are more you know shouty than than thrash typically would be although when you think of a slayer a lot of tom Araya's vocals are you know like i think of my favorite kind of moment in the slayer song is the god hates us all breakdown and he's just yelling (laughs) he's just yelling god hates us all like that's all he's doing so there are a lot of those elements are pulled into hardcore whether converge or you know some of the other bands will talk about being on death wish but that thrash element it's always thrash has never been my go-to genre on its own within metal like i've liked the occasional band but it's influ i love when its influence makes its way into into hardcore or punk yeah maybe maybe we should zoom out just quickly to say like you know i just said metal and hardcore but like like when i say metal i guess i'm i'm meaning because we've we've used we've abused metal a lot so far the last few episodes like i'm talking about just like metallica like 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 the thrash that was defined by kill them all yeah and like like that's how we're using metal uh in in this context and then when i say hardcore in hardcore in its purest form i'm talking about like the dc school of hardcore that that would have come in the 80s and 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 the other regions you know bay bay area kind of stuff that would kind of be linked to it. So I'm talking about Black Flag, Bad Brains, and then bands that would come like Discharge. Yeah. Um, these are kind of, these are like quintessential hardcore. So so just to distinguish, you know, when we say metal and hardcore, if we're talking about their roots and their purest forms, this, this is kind of what I think we're referring to. And then when we say metalcore, metalcore is taken that thrash, that Metallica thrash, that's or Slayer, because Converge would really take Slayer riffs, and they, they would say they've said that themselves, meshing it with the uh, the the hardcore uh, approach, like Black Flag, like Discharge, and stuff like that. So that is like the root of metalcore. But I think the point that I think the point point that we're trying to arrive at is that you know metalcore, as it is understood today, is not metallic hardcore in the way that bad brains or bad brains with slayer riffs like that yeah. is not what metalcore is now right yeah i mean that's even like on the the first episode when i was talking about the umbra vitae album from this year i mean it's it's on death wish and bannon's in it that's the that almost technically as as on the nose of what deathcore should equal to which is death metal and hardcore coming together but that's not right. how deathcore is understood and it's kind of the same thing with metalcore so so because metalcore is all, all, already this so-called composite genre it's it's not a purist thing like it's, it, it is a mesh you know even the portmanteau of the word um alludes to that uh, it's by its definition really flexible so when you take Converge's second record, I mean, I feel like it's their first real album for some reason, but I guess it's technically their second, but Petitioning the Empty Sky, that could be really death metal in a lot of places. And then it could get really grindcore in a lot of places. And then it could even 
sound like the Rites of Spring kind of emo. Yeah. In other places, but it wasn't like, you know, we were talking about Genghis Tron earlier, like, oh, isn't that so hilarious how they jump between trance and, and breakdowns? It wasn't, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like intentionally done to jar you. It made a lot of sense in the context of Converge. Like, like, that, like that wasn't weird that they would suddenly sound like an emo band, at least for Petitioning the Empty Sky. It might be kind of weird for Converge today, but, um, but it, it seemed to make sense. It's hard, it's hard to describe, but it, it just worked. And I think that is because it, Metalcore is, is flexible to begin with. Yeah, and I think when they came out and when Deathwish would have been starting, you know, that metal side you were talking about, the hardcore side, but then also like death metal, you know, like the entombs of the world and bolt thrower and like bands like that, like they were all kind of happening at the same time. And then they all, Oh man, I wasn't even going to mean this as a pun. And then they all kind of converged together. (laughs) Wasn't me as I was coming up with that in my head. I did not mean it that way, but it works, but they all kind of just, they were all happening at the same time. And I'm sure there are a lot of people when you like kind of one part of heavy music, you're probably liking other parts of it too. It's very rare that you find like a, a punk kid or a hardcore kid that over time doesn't also like some metal bands and yeah. converges came along and the, you know, like the breather resists. I can't, that's a hard plural to say, but yeah, it really is. It's easy but, to read. Yeah, I know. Uh, all kind of come, come together bringing all those elements because it was like all that stuff is happening you like all that stuff why not make a band or music that has all the best parts of all all that stuff why why not have it all in one place for sure and and that just reminded me um i grew up growing up i never uh, liked metallica which i think for most people who like metal uh into their adulthood metallica was their first love that was never the case for me but in my old age, I have actually come to really love uh, Metallica because I'm like, oh, this is like the hardcore band that I want to listen to <laughs> that doesn't exist now. <laughs> like they yeah, like, like when really you listen to like, band. yeah, like in, even in Justice for All, Ride the Lightning, like there's so much just like sick kind of hardcore riffs there with like awesome leads. Yeah. And you, and you hear so much of that coming back. Like when we were talking about you know, the renaissance of these kind of old school death metal bands and old school or hardcore bands that borrow from old school elements. So many of them have that like Metallica ish, like those little like triplet chugs and like things Mm -hmm. like that are such a Metallica staple. Like, you know, the power trips of the world. I mean, they, they would probably say, I mean, I haven't read a bunch of power trip interviews over the years or anything, but I'm sure Metallica is like influence number one or two. So at the beginning of kind of Death Wish and Converge, I shouldn't say the beginning of Converge, but as they're becoming, you know, the Jane Doe Converge, you know, they're starting this, this idea of metalcore is kind of is happening. And it, I think, became the successor, although it was also kind of existing at the same time of what was going on the mainstream side of heavier music, which was like <laughs> new metal, which was kind of going on at the same time but in or reach, reaching it's reaching its kind of uh peak commercial commercial yeah peak it was it was still time. played i mean that and like alternative metal were still being played predominantly on like the edge around the like early 2000s um 
for those outside of Toronto, the 102.1 The Edge was the only heavy music radio station that then became not that over time. I don't even know what they do now. I, I, I remember once tuning in, and I don't mean this like I think Justin Bieber has some great songs, but I'm pretty sure one time I tuned in and they were playing like a Biebs song or like a Coldplay <laughs> song or something. And it's like a Coldplay I can see, but that's not, that would have been, norm- been normal for them to play Coldplay like back in the day too, to be fair. Yeah, I guess, I guess. But, you know, so th- on the, the mainstream side around this time is kind of like new metal and then metalcore is kind of happening kind of at the same, same time. But you know, metalcore was bringing in these different elements as we were talking about of, I mean, what was, I mean, we can use the term mainstream, I guess, a bit loosely within this side of stuff, but it was really combining all these different elements from these relatively major genres uh, into one place, but you weren't like losing like status, like a new metal label would. Now, when you look back, new metal is seen as like a, it's like a, horrible faux pas a bit unfortunate yeah uh, yeah exactly and you know conversion all this is happening and then you start getting the warp tour side also of of metalcore which is what we were talking about in terms of the definitions of the word yeah like, that's a perfect that's the perfect descriptor yeah like and hey i liked some of those bands i mean you know there's the uh atreus or a tray wherever you say it and you know, Bullet for My Valentine was going on at this time. Uh, Avenged Sevenfold was kind of happening. I'm trying to think of what else. Under Oath. But I guess Under Oath has a bit more a bit more cred in the grand scheme of this than, you know, the Bullet for My Valentines. But there's kind of that side of, they could also claim metalcore. But it was, yeah. it was obviously different than what was hap- starting to happen on Death Wish. Yeah, so the, the, the Warp Tour interpretation of metalcore is probably what would have been my initial understanding of it just given my age yeah me too like I, i'm too i'm too young to kind of like be an earth crisis guy died in the wool like dead guy fan you know like what you always hear about like well this is like the real metalcore and and etc like fine that yeah that's totally true but you know coming into it what like quintessential metalcore to me, even though it's going against everything we've been saying so far, is something like Kill Switch Engage, which is ah uh, yeah, that's a great example. It's like the Ur example for me, because I'm imagining like that kind of uh, the 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 Gothenburg sound. Yes. Um, so 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 European melodic death metal filtered through American heavy metal kind of became like, I guess, something that sounds like Kill Switch Engage. So you have these very um, dramatic harmonized leads and which is like the European part and then the American part, which is kind of the the thrashier stomp and some of the breakdowns and stuff like that. So that was my like, this this is what metalcore is when I came into it, or at least that's what it had. That was its current definition was something like Kill Switch Engage as I lay dying stuff like that yeah and, yeah and then in the peripheral of that you know like we were saying because it's very genre agnostic even like all the victory records kind of stuff even if it didn't sound anything like kill switch engage or converge i mean you could you could you could kind of argue that like hawthorne heights or from first to last 
were, were also themselves metalcore just by just because they were making heavy music around the same time i guess but they're they were kind of collectively considered part of that too so that just goes to show you how much mutation there was by by that point in the early like 2002 2001 you know yeah and i mean also i guess this is why you know now especially we've developed kind of the term like chaotic hardcore or like mathcore to also help further differentiate between all these kind of you know these three different sounds that were all considered the same thing because at this time like converge when you listen to jane doe it's like it's tech like there's a lot of interesting ideas rhythmically and time signature wise going on like it's not just it's not just based the reason it's metalcore isn't just based on you know those those european style like dual guitar leads and breakdowns and and big operatic kind of choruses and hooks they were they were taking those elements of of metal uh, and hardcore like converge was and making it technically like evolving it technically as well and then you also have like you mentioned victory records you have you know the between the barrier to me self-titled album right. which it's funny to see what they are now uh being kind of basically a progressive metal band as kind of a blanket term but their first album is very hardcore uh yeah, yeah, but, for but sure. But also very technical in terms of like they have some crazy leads going on. The rhythms and ideas are not conventional in a lot of places, but it, you hear it and you're like, yeah, this is a very like hardcore metalcore album, but evolved quite dramatically. And you start to see visions of progressiveness or progressive metal brought into that sound. Yeah, like between the barrier means. Yeah, probably the best example because, it, you know, the, the, like the nerdiness crept into metalcore. So like, let's see how let's see how mathematical we can get with our meters. Let's see how uh, uh, complex we can get with our soloing. I'm kind of amazed at what Between the Buried and Me became when you listen to their self-titled. But at the same time, if you look at our expectations as listeners it makes perfect sense that they are what they are now because it's just, it's just layering on, it's just, it's just bringing them to what the genre as a whole was nudging everything towards, which is basically the new prog rock of the, of, of the times. Uh, so an emphasis on, on complexity, on versatility and musicianship, the, the seeds were there in early BT BAM even though, yeah, they sound like a more straight ahead hardcore band with technical elements and some European elements kind of sprinkled in. Well, and to make it as punk or hardcore as possible, I was listening to an interview with Blake, the drummer, and he was saying apparently the first two and possibly three, it might've included Alaska, but definitely the first two albums. So the self-titled and Silent Circus were recorded without a click track. Like there was no click. It was raw, like, yeah. which is super cool. Cause you hear, I mean, you can kind of believe it with the self-titled. Don't get me wrong. There's some really wild kind of ideas going on and some things that would be kind of hard to play without a click track. But when you listen to like 
the silent circus you're like how did they pull that off just playing it kind of playing it raw anyways not to make this too much about bt bam and victory records but basically the example there is really talking about how alongside what was happening at death wish with converge there are other bands still also prominent to this day that were starting to push the ideas of technicality nerdiness into kind of hardcore and metalcore and that spurned the evolution of hardcore becoming kind of technical which we now see 20 years later as mathcore quote unquote or chaotic hardcore where there's a lot of uh kind of wild rhythms and time signatures but what was kind of interesting about this contrast wise is you're having hardcore in its essence is very stripped down and direct and obviously something that's technical is kind of the opposite it's so there's these two things kind of coming together and i think that's maybe why the the genre still works for me so much now like when i'm looking for stuff to listen to i love anything that's kind of in this tech hardcore you know kind of kind of realm because there's these two things that shouldn't be together in in theory and yet when they come together it's amazing yeah, I, I got us away from it, but um, you know, you, you were talking about Jane Doe. Jane Doe, you know, Jane Doe is kind of the the fulcrum, and it, it's it's representative, I guess, of 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 the peak popularity, peak critical success. Like, I think this is when I I, I don't actually know how something like Pitchfork would have reviewed Jane Doe, but I can imagine if they didn't review it positively, it's what would have, they would have referenced in, you know, future Converge reviews as sort of the zenith of artistic capability, not just in hardcore, metalcore, but just, just the entire gamut yeah. of, of, of the genre. Like it just became the poster child for capital A artistic, capital I important uh, music, which would otherwise be that silly screamo stuff for 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 moody teenagers. You know, Jane Doe was an adult album. And as such, it I I, I can always I, I always see Jane Doe when I pictured it in my mind with this kind of red velvet rope around it, you know? Uh, like this kind of do not touch the artwork kind of thing. Uh, like I, I feel like I kind of listen to Jane Doe from a distance. I'm not saying it's not an, an incredible album I just wish I could go back to the year 2000 and listen to like bitter and then some and just see it for the straight up yeah like ripper that it is whereas now I see them as these gallery pieces that's not super hardcore <laughs> to me you know well it's interesting because I think I I can objectively see that Jane Doe is their best album yeah I think that's obvious but it's not my favorite album it's like my third favorite yeah. Like, I think for me personally, You Fail Me and No Heroes are kind of one and two in terms of favorite albums. Like, I just find them enjoyable to listen to. I'm the same, 100%. Yeah, I don't know which order of those two would be first. I think it kind of switches day to day of what, what kind of mood I'm in. That's the but, same for me too. Yeah, but those two albums for me are just like, I don't know, those are like so, like so many of the tracks on those two albums are like two minutes long and just like rippers and they still have sick breakdowns and, and riffs and moments that make me like really excited. But 
I think that's interesting. I never thought of Jane Doe as kind of seeing it or hearing it from afar, but I do think there is an element of that where it feels very, there's this bigness around it that makes you feel like when you're listening to it, like you're, you have to be a bit, it's funny to say this about something that has like Jacob Bannon's vocals on it, but you have to be like a bit delicate when you're listening to it like you can't fully commit yourself to it versus you fail me and no heroes don't have the pretense of it a little bit and i don't mean that converge is pretentious i just mean the there's the so world much decided ra- yeah there's yeah. so much wrapped around jane doe i mean the the album artwork was you know what put on shirts by like urban outfitters or what like it's the most <laughs> iconic one of the most iconic albums of of album covers of all time yeah. Like that is that is one of the most recognizable album covers of all time, regardless of genre. Yeah. And I mean, Bannon's good at that overall because I mean, he's designed so many covers for all of the Death Wish bands. And I mean, even his cover for All We Love We Leave Behind, the moon kind of moon thing yeah. has been like, you can see that stolen by a bunch of brands and stuff as well. He's very good at that. But Jane Doe, just between the music and how it's been looked at as this landmark, the art, there's just there's so much kind of in it. And it's interesting because when you look at the timeline of kind of death wish and converges evolution and change, slightly changing sound, you fail me was kind of next. Also a great album cover. I love that you fail me album cover. Yeah. Uh, but you know, they kind of, they kind of pulled back some of the grandiosity of Jane Doe and just made this kind of, ripping i guess dark hardcore album it's kind of i you know you you've kind of described it to me as like you feel like you fail me as punk metal it's not that it's metallic hardcore it's kind of punk metal it's like kind of flipping around the order a little bit well when i was a kid in hmv um, oh yeah hmv shout out to hmv my my first (laughs) my first well my second job after canadian tire HMV and Much Loud. One day we got to talk about the importance of them as uh, happily. Yeah, uh, HMV. You know, scrolling through. You know, a lot of times I, w- I would pick a record to get. You know, I'd get an allowance and I'd, I'd go by the album cover, really. <laughs> and and they used to have little stickers um, from the from the labels that would promote it and have quotes from reviews and stuff. So the album cover of You Fail Me, this is 2003, I guess. The, uh, the album cover, first of all, is really striking. It's a severed hand, but it's done in an illustrated style. It's not, it's not overly gory. It looks almost um, like biblical, like, like something like, 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 old, like an oldie timey kind of medical illustration or something like that. Yeah. Uh, against this black background it, it's a really it's a really strong visual design despite it being a really kind of intense image and then on the little sticker and by the way i guess we should clarify i don't can, we're talking about death wish and converge death wish is started by memory converge but i don't think converge releases their they, they, i think they release their physical like vinyl through but they're they're doing stuff through epitaph records yes yeah so so i should distinguish there um but so so uh, you fail me. You fail me was the first epitaph record for conversion. Epitaph, at, at least at the time, was the biggest. Was like the Hollywood of punk 
record labels. You know, that's like rancid and 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 all that stuff. Like that, like of what we understood as punk then, like Epitaph was was the ones who were doing it. So on the sticker it said punk metal in the promotion. <laughs> and I I was like, oh yeah, punk metal. Okay. And punk was more palatable for me at that age than metal. Metal, you know, we talked about this last time, but metal was a little more, more of a commitment, more of a, do I want to go down the dark path? Whereas punk was more, felt like more for me at right. that time. And this was kind of exciting because it's like, I don't know what it says, punk, you know? So I think I can get down with this because I loved AFI at the time, right? Like that was my shit was, which and, and early AFI is, is pretty great Bay Area hardcore, you know? So so this was a natural fit when I when I put it on. I'm like, this is punk metal. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a perfect that's a perfect description of it. And I love just like, yeah, because you know you you'd still look back at it, and I guess it's you categorize it under metalcore technically, right? Like we were saying, it's it's metal, it's hardcore. But when you listen to uh, uh, you fail me. And even even no heroes. I mean, no heroes. I guess ventures a bit more onto the metal side of things out of the two of them. But you fail me is kind of punk first, metal second. Yeah, and that that goes to that's down to. So uh, I'll back up a little bit. I I guess after the quote unquote success, if that's what you want to call it, as successful as you can be making an album like Jane Doe. You Fail Me feels really intentional. I feel like a lot of bands are like, okay, what's next? Okay, let's kind of continue on along this, this path we've been following and refine this and refine that. But You Fail Me, you fail me feels like a really uh, conscious uh, departure. I feel I, I'd be shocked if, that, if they just kind of arrived at that or it, it felt like there was a lot of thought put into, okay, how are we going to define ourselves in the post Jane Doe landscape now. And, and that, that's what brings us to the, to the central topic, I think, of, of Death Wish Records and the sound that Death Wish proliferated. Yes. Um, you Fail Me is the ambassador to that sound. You Fail Me, though it did not come out on Death Wish, it came out on Epitaph, it is the ambassador itself to Death Wish. And it defined, I think, the next 10 years of what we would understand, not just a metalcore, but as as hardcore, capital H hardcore. And when I say that, I mean I'm talking about those two brothers before. Like, you fail me to find what the other brother was next to metal for the next well till today, I guess. You know, I think the contrast to Jane Doe is what makes it so easy to talk about because there's context there. But where Jane Doe's kind of top to bottom, from guitar ideas to how the the drum ideas, everything was kind of, you know, over, over the top as, and I mean that in a positive way, like not negatively, it's just, there was a lot of, like when I picture the drums on like a Jane Doe, I just, I picture a lot of kind of wild rhythms incorporating like cool Tom stuff. And then I think of you fail me as just kind of, and there, there are, you know, time signatures, that aren't just four, four, four on you fail me, but I pictured a lot more straightforward and kind of like a bit of a bit of a bulldozer. And that sound you're kind of talking about. And I think Kurt 
Kirk co-produced Jane Doe, but he also co-produced You Fail Me. But as you're saying, that's where the, the Death Wish slash Converge signature sound starts to emerge. And it's that, you know, those thicker guitars and bass. I mean, Nate's bass is just a, there's no better bass kind of sound that's ever, like I remember when you and I started making music and especially when you started switching to playing bass, it was like, how do we get you to have like the converge bass sound? Yeah, absolutely. Like it's, it's a thing and it's no one else. Like Kurt does it with all the bands that kind of go there, but especially with converge, it's just this very, I, I don't know if it's just like a simple distortion pedal or what, but it sounds so awesome and so crunchy and it just adds so much fullness to a converge. Like I know they're a four piece overall, but like it's just one guitar, one bass drums. They sound humongous. But it uh, sounds like another gu- guitar. It, it, but yeah, it's still, it does. It's still just maintaining lower end. low end. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, but it has the character. It has almost like the timbral quality of like Nate Newton. Yeah, he's, he's a guitarist because he's a bass guitarist, but he sounds like the other Converge guitarist, right? Yeah. And so you kind of take the, the more direct single kick drums you take that kind of guitar sound where these the guitar and bass are kind of becoming one and they kind of sound like two really heavy guitars. And that um, You Fail Me is just like riffs on riffs on riffs versus even looking back on Jane Doe, it's like there are parts, especially the title track, of course, with, yeah. with Jane Doe. But that album just has like part A to part B to part C versus like more conventional hardcore is kind of where you fail me lies which is riffs like sick riff beating you over the head with it moves on to the next riff maybe it goes between those two a couple times and there's like a breakdown riff and that's what you fail me does is it's just non-stop riffs and that really that combined with that sound uh where there's you can hear guitar feedback you can kind of hear the pick it's not like fine-tuned out like a lot of metal albums are where it's you know kind of has to sound perfect like it's it's quite raw it's and enhanced, that just Steven. yeah and that just adds to the punk quality you know we call it punk metal i mean that's where that punk really comes through is even in just how it's how it's produced yeah and and I, i'm just realizing this as you're as you're describing it but i i'm 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 re- I'm finding there's this really key component to it, and I think a lot of it has to do with Kurt Ballou, the the guitarist and and songwriter of a lot of this stuff. But he has such like blues feel, and it and it becomes really apparent in the Converge tracks, which are kind of more like interludey, or even the song that um, opens "You Fail Me" um, has this very bluesy almost like Delta bluesy kind of character to it. Uh, a bit of a like, I, I don't want to call it Southern because I'm not trying to say it sounds like Pantera, but it, it has this very, I'll call it American. It has a very Americana style bluesiness to it. Right. And, and it, again, we talked last episode about the lineage of, um, of the genre and how it how it was related to tempo, blues is the progenitor of of all of this. Really, you know, going into rock and roll, rock and roll doubling up its tempo, becoming punk, punk doubling up its tempo, becoming hardcore. Uh, the, the, 
I feel like you fail me and it's very opening statement is reaching back into the, into the roots quite literally and pulling the blues back into the sound and, and, and finding that lineage again, that hardcore was uh, kind of, I don't want to say lost because that sounds dramatic. That sounds like I'm saying like all these bands were shit and hardcore was great. I think a lot of the bands that came out are, 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 are amazing and I'm glad they went where they went, but yeah, th this blues component I think is one of the, is one of the pillars to this redefinition of hardcore and the part that you feel me played in, in defining that. Yeah. And I think, you know, with, with that, um, let's listen to, I mean, this isn't going to get to the blues thing you're talking about, but in no, terms of everything but, else we're talking about, let's let's listen to kind of a quick snippet of uh, Heartless from You Fail Me, because we were talking about rippers and that song just kind of tears your face off. Yeah, so that was Heartless from You Fail Me. And what I love about kind of that song outside of it just being, you know, straight ahead, it's like two and a half minutes long, kind of, yeah, it really, it really, I, I said rips your face off and not to just repeat that again, but it really does. But what I also love is that the next track after that is the title track of You Fail Me, which is, you know, this 
you know, it's not their longest song. It's like five and a half minutes, but it's so like hypnotic and simple and yet kind of not in certain ways. Like I remember finding out, I believe that like the, the picking pattern that just sounds like it's straight kind of whatever eights or whatever it would be. There's actually like a little bit more going on, which is like very converge of them to do. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's followed up by you failed me and in, in, in her shadow, which aren't their most, you know, ripping, ripping songs. But that's, I think it shows kind of the, the sound that was kind of coming out that then would influence what the death wish sound would be. And, and some of the bands that came out of that, you know, there are kind of a couple key pillars as death wish has evolved, but one of the first ones I think for you and I is trap them. Yeah. Trap them to me was my first thought listening to trap them was like, Oh great. This is just more. You fail me. Yeah. It was like, you fail me, but like meets entombed, you know, like, yeah, cause yeah, for sure. You know, I know that seizures and barren praise wasn't their their first, like they had sleep well deconstructor, but you know, seizures and barren praise is still for me. They're kind of their pinnacle of just, again, like relentless, relentlessness but that this is where you first start to hear the buzzsaw the infamous buzzsaw guitar sound that that kurt would produce at god city and and kind of one thing kind of under all of this that we're going to talk about music is that the death wish sound what's so amazing about it to me or the death wish influence is you know jacob's running the label he's doing the art for so many of these bands and kurt's also producing so much of the music like he didn't produce every single death wish band but a lot of them and so this the converge influence on all this is quite dramatic yeah uh so the trap them kind of entombed buzzsaw style guitars uh straight ahead i mean there is a lot of grind grindcore kind of influence on trap them but again they would be like i don't know what you would categorize genre-wise trap them but to me i'm just like yeah i guess they're like metalcore i guess maybe you could call them death metal depending on what parts of them you're listening to but to me they're if also they're death just... metal it would be it would be your definition being the way that entombed is death metal right yeah exactly which so, entombed doesn't sound like death or crypto no not at all like, not at all yeah not at all but in terms of pace and energy and the the drums uh you know trap them does have a lot of d beats but they also have a lot of blasts so it's kind of that relentless energy so trap them's kind of happening around these kind of like mid mid 2000s and then at the same time as that one other thing that converge is putting out is cursed which are from you know kind of southern ontario where we are toronto in the hamilton area and don't get me wrong i've always liked cursed but i think your passion for them i'm gonna let you kind of speak about cursed and kind of what they kind of meant i have so much to say about cursed um where do i even start um yeah the the, the album i think that 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 i am really connected to even though you know it's not their first album it's their final album which is kind of weird to like really uphold because i think a lot of bands final albums are usually considered to be not very good but um, Cursed 3, their album 3, The Architects of Troubled Sleep, 
to me, it's, it is the apex of, of hardcore albums. So as, as important as You Fail Me is, uh, I do think this album is superior to it and the, the, the most important statement of this, this, this uh, style that we're talking about. Uh, that, that is a personal taste, of course. But I, I think Cursed is immensely popular, and, or at least if they're not immensely popular, immensely respected. And it, it, it makes a lot of sense that you see a lot of bands that are doing really dark, really challenging, really interesting things that do not play any kind of hardcore whatsoever. Maybe it's really atonal, atonal death metal or, or really uh, chaotic and aggressive black metal. Or, or even, you know, uh, some bands like uh, some deathcore bands that might, some people might stick their nose up at like uh, War From a, Har a Harlot's Mouth, you know, what they eventually became. Yeah. A lot of these members are wearing Cursed shirts and that makes a lot of sense. Uh, cursed is, is one of the darkest bands uh, in terms of subject matter and, and aesthetic um, to the point where it, it is really similar to black metal. But, you know, while black metal can be at times quite goofy and, and kind of stargazer-y. Uh, Cursed is definitely not that. Cursed is, is uh, brutally real. And I gotta, yeah, because it, it's different from, it's different from, because you could describe like, oh yeah, death metal, brutal death metal. It's so punishing. You know, we, we keep coming back. We keep joking about that. But um, Cursed is miserable <laughs> in a way, but, but miserable in the way that, in the way that you don't like to look in the mirror. You know, it's not miserable, like, oh, look at all this human suffering. Look at how fucked up the human condition is. It's more like I'm being exposed to components of myself and my nature that um, I'm not very comfortable with. And that's kind of the, the, the core of, of what Cursed is. So, and I think that's why it's really special is because it's able to elicit that. Yeah. But more on the surface of, of, of Cursed, you know, I, like in terms of their actual sound, they three does sound a lot like You Fail Me in a lot of ways. It does. Uh, it it kind of like Trap Them, it, it sounds like a cousin to it. I, I got to be careful what I say here because I, I don't think Cursed sounds like a black metal band, but there's certain, there's certain chord shapes, especially in the song Magic Fingers, that feel very black metal. And again, not in that goofy way uh, in, in this in this really kind of stark black and white way.
course they have, but but they're doing the D beats under that. And, and D beats, if you're if you're not necessarily aware, um, D the D and D beat comes from. I think the urban legend is it comes from discharge, so it's the discharge beat. So the band discharge would do this um, the style of punk beat, which go do 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 do, which is kind of the the iconic hardcore uh, signature, rhythmically anyway. Uh, so so they'd have those D beats and and blast beats that sounded very grindcore, but with again not metalcore, not even necessarily quote unquote hardcore, but punk metal riffs. Yeah, uh, much like you feel me. And then la- last thing is, uh, which I find funny is, uh, they the the three album typifies a trend in hardcore albums. I find which is like really like three or four songs in that album are actual hardcore songs. Like the rest are these kind of moody, interstitial, uh, mid-tempo songs that like, I don't think you'd call like a hardcore song. Like their sequencing is really kind of weird in hardcore records. Like yeah. you get a hardcore record, record expecting 10, 10 rippers. And that's rarely what you get. You get three rippers usually and then seven of like i don't know what that was <laughs> kind of interlude type things or 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 just these kind of weird digressions i guess it just makes it more interesting though i think yeah and i it's it's funny because i was listening to curse three again today because i hadn't listened to it in so long but i really i mean the album's the album's great but i really liked one thing is that the song you know friends in the music business the content of it lyrically what i love about it is it matches the the song itself is so grimy and filthy sounding and yeah. it just there's it a just, sleaziness to it yeah there's exactly there's a sleaziness that just completely matches the the title and then you're hearing like lyrics kind of repeated like is that a promise or a threat or don't call me i won't call you uh so when you're talking about kind of the content of the record there's a very you know, when you think of hardcore, there's this kind of very honest, direct, like lyrical component to it. While there is this metallic, or like you're saying, slight black metal influence on the music itself. So, you know, so, you know, we're talking about kind of these things that are coming out of this death wish camp, we'll call it kind of overall. So you have so far Trap Them with kind of the entombed buzzsaw guitar you have cursed as you were just talking about and then one of the other things at the time is the killing the dream kind of sound or side of all Mm -hmm. this which is more of the melodic hardcore and this kind of applies to the carrier as well you know they're definitely versus the stuff we've been talking about that would be a bit darker and you know I'll, i'll call it there's more of this kind of punk texture to how it's produced and how it sounds. You have this killing the dream sound that is a bit more clean and polished. Probably more like Kill Switch Engage than any of the other. Clo- closer kind of to, but like, I don't want that to yeah. be misinterpreted as like they sound like Kill Switch because they certainly don't. But in terms of how. But they err more towards that. Yeah. Cor- in like, the grand like scheme. Killing the dream. Yeah, yeah. Killing the dream are, are like more of a metalcore band. Um, though definitely fitting in alongside all the things we've been talking about. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's funny cause you know, they have, 
uh, in play in place apart is kind of their most widely, I guess, renowned album. I think now that time has moved on. I we we've kind of had this ongoing joke for like 15 years now about Lucky Me, and uh, <laughs> where I always thought it was pretty good and you didn't. And it's funny because as a result of that, and as I was digging into like how many of the bands, you know, Jacob did the artwork for, and he did, of course, all the artwork for all the Killing the Dream albums. Uh, I came, I came across, there was a quote from the vocalist of Killing the Dream. And he mentioned how uh, Lucky Me was, it wasn't supposed to be like an ironic title. He was actually like, for the first time in his life, he felt like he was in a good place in his life. So the title was to reflect that. And then I was thinking to myself, that may be why, you know, some people like yourself didn't like it as much as he was coming. Like, it's kind of weird for that kind of, it sounds sad, but it's really weird when that kind of music is about like being in a better place and, and everything kind of reflecting that. For sure. I, I think I just wanted in place apart again and again and again. And that's, that's a big cliche for any fan of a band, they just want, you know, it's, it's the, you can never win because you got to, you got to do something new because you can't just copy and paste yourself. That would be disingenuous. But then if you change, yeah, it's, it, people are going to call, are, are going to, are going to call you out on that. And How dare he be happy? Yeah. That's what I say. For, but I, I think I just wanted like, specifically that exact chemical combination that that amounted to in place apart i just kind of wanted that again and again and, and fractures the, the the middle album between the two um was what i i love that record uh it, to me it felt like a good departure i would really like to go back and listen to lucky me i feel like i would actually probably respect it a lot more i think i was just being a, a pig-headed uh <laughs> typical fan at the yeah. time <laughs> because because it is different it, it doesn't sound like uh, in place apart at all yeah and then, i should have a oh sorry go on no no you can go no i just i, I have a i have a funny story about all of this it, it all kind of ties it to get ties together with what we were talking about before i was working on a film that uh, had to do with uh, visual artists this is like seven years ago and as part of the promotion for it we were in an actual art gallery in Toronto and a bunch of people were there and uh, the, the person I was working with, they introduced um, their, their friend to me and their friend had brought along um, her boyfriend. And uh, I said, hey to him. And I noticed that he was wearing a shirt that had like, that was very obviously like this Jacob Bannon design. Like, and it had the, the baby blue color scheme with this white distressed graphic that looks to me, I thought like, oh, this is something from the uh, the Killing the Dream Fractures album. It looked just like something from the album cover. I thought maybe it's like Killing the Dream merch. Uh, so I'm striking up conversation. I'm like, hey man, is that a, is that a Killing the Dream shirt? And he was like, no, it's it's a Converge shirt. And I was like, oh yeah, it makes sense to make that mistake because Jacob Bannon does the the artwork for both. And but then he's like, but did you say? like did you say killing the dream i'm like yeah 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 i thought it was killing i thought it was the fractures album cover he's like you're not saying that because you know who i am I'm like i don't know like what are you what are you saying he's like i'm i'm like the guitarist in killing the dream <laughs> or or he was like or he's like or i play i toured with like he was um he was if he wasn't 
currently the member he was at one time um, playing guitar for them or something. I just found it funny, like, like I feel like he was kind of like a little bit like trying to trying to figure out if I was a psycho. Yeah, was fair. Playing okay. some like mental cat and mouse game with him or something. <laughs> and he's like, are, are you saying this because I'm in Killing the Dream or do you actually not know who I am? Yeah. Did you happen to buy that shirt on August 4th? He's like, how do you know my birthday? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, are you saying that because I'm Sagittarius or Virgo? I don't know what August 4th would be. Virgo? I don't know. Um, okay, so let's let's summarize where we're at in terms of the death wish influence because you've also touched on the stylistic like this it wasn't just death wish sound like death wish kind of had this whole uh, aesthetic musically too visually because to the point of you can recognize a shirt and think it's a killing the dream shirt and it's actually a converged shirt like i knew my i knew my story had a point yeah there you go but there's this kind of aesthetic going on so there's again there's the there's the trap them side of it. There's the curse side. There's the killing the dream side. And then the side that I am most excited to talk about is what I'll refer solely as the new lows side of all of this. Uh, I think new lows harvest of the carcass is like the best hardcore or hardcore adjacent album of like, I don't know, probably ever. Uh, it was definitely, I had kind of touched on bolt thrower very quickly earlier uh, they definitely have that influence where, you know, there's a lot of hardcore D beat style music on this record. And then they just have the heaviest, you know, I, we use this word affectionately when it comes to hardcore breakdowns, but like ignorant kind of slams going on. And then you're, you have this and then you have the kind of vocals over top, which are these just, yelling it sounds like a guy talking really loud over top which is very punk and you know something more akin to a ceremony where it, it really does sound like a guy who doesn't know how to do vocals doing vocals over top and that's what makes it so awesome and so you have this kind of very human element going on this very more hardcore direct kind of element over top of just like the heaviest dankest kind of breakdowns and riffs possible but i i truly like this album every time i listen to it it makes me smile just on how they they just didn't give a didn't give a fuck at all when they were making this record like it's kind of this and then the code orange album at the time uh was it love is love return to dust or something like that so it's called it's something close enough I'm, I'm, I'm like not right i'm pretty sure it's right yeah i'm pretty sure that is the name of the album i'm just so bad with song titles yeah love is love return to dust that is what it's called but like those two albums for me i don't know the code orange one was around kind of 2012 and the new lows one was i don't know like 2011 ish so our, you know within those couple of years is when so death wish now from where we started this has kind of existed for you know, quite a while, like a decade. And then you're getting well, to this. Oh yeah, yeah, at this point, yeah. So. Yeah, and then you're getting to this idea of hardcore and punk that uh, really the way in that it's hardcore and punk isn't necessarily the music per se. Like, yes, there are hardcore and punk elements in the music, but what makes them so hardcore and punk to me is they just don't care. Like New Lowe's is throwing these insanely heavy breakdowns 
without regard for like the rest of the song and then code orange well at the time code orange kids uh, yeah yeah exactly they they started becoming bad once they dropped the kids out of their name which is what's kind of funny but the code orange kids album at the time they were punk as hell to me because they would just like do these things that were technically like incorrect like they would be playing a riff and a rhythm and stuff and then they would just stop doing that and do something else completely and you just had to kind of adapt and follow along uh and that's what made them kind of punk to me like they just didn't care they're like we're just gonna do this now and you're like okay cool like this sounds like a whole new song but you're putting it under the same track name and and we should i and not like we were saying before petitioning the empty sky so petitioning empty sky you know it could sound like inspector gadget death metal riff and then become uh like you know emo all of a sudden with with like really clean guitars and stuff you know this isn't that kind of thing i don't think code orange kids weren't switching uh genres necessarily they weren't being like okay now we're going into this style They, they were just changing the entire like it's like they were just stopping the song and starting a new song really yeah like it's a brand brand new riff and rhythm and tempo sometimes yeah yeah and you just had to kind of they expected you as a listener to just be along for the ride and be down with it and like it was done in such a way that i that i was which is funny because around that same time i'm probably listening to a lot of more complex you know technical music that is composed very thoughtfully and put together and i'm like yes this is what music should be and then code orange on the opposite end is just like no we're just gonna we're just gonna stop doing things abruptly and you have to deal with it and i was like yes this is also awesome so you know and and it's interesting because for their evolution after they left death wish and joined like roadrunner or whatever you know, they kind of became this entirely different band where they started doing this like new metal warship thing. You know, we were talking earlier, all these things kind of coming together where we're talking about new metal and metalcore kind of existing at the same time. So Cold Orange plays in the Death Wish side of things for a bit, and then they start doing whatever it was, whatever you want to call it, with like their last couple albums where it's like new metal warship and it sounds like Slipknot and Mudvayne at points and they're playing into that whole new metal side of things as well the thing about that is like they're younger i i'm 99 sure they're they're substantially younger than you and i i think they're in their mid 20s now probably yeah so i think when that album came out i think they were in their mid to late teens and when you look at converge they're lovingly they lovingly sound like slayer because I think when Converge were like kids, they had that like, it's weird to say, cause like, I feel like Converge were adults around the time that Slayer were still around. So I'd be totally wrong, but I feel like, I feel like at least a part of their adolescence owed a lot to listening to Slayer. Um, in much the same way, I feel like Code Orange kids, when they were 13 years old, you know, Slipknot was a thing they would they would have been much younger and that was formative for them Slipknot and Linkin Park and all this kind of new metal stuff to the where where they don't look at it as like they look on it 
with what am I trying to say here, Logan? <laughs> I, I don't I don't know, water. dude. All I'm gonna say is that uh when you liked Lincoln Park, you were a code orange boy, and when you liked Converge, you were a code orange man. Let me just summarize and say they grew up with Slipknot and they don't have the the distance of 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 age away from Slipknot in order to to kind of be snooty about it. So when they incorporate all this new metal stuff, it's like well, I'm just bringing it back the same way Converge were bringing back Slayer. Right? Well, and, and I mean, I don't know what their goal was with with the band, but you know, they're on a, a big metal label, and they seem to be achieving a as much as you can within metal, a pretty substantial like commercial le- like level of commercial success. So good for them. But in in what we're talking about in terms of that death wish death wish sound, you know them and new lows they they're actually very different sounding bands but i I liked kind of grouping them together in terms of this idea of punk and hardcore that's pulling a lot from a lot from metal but it's punk in terms of how it's executed so with that uh we'll play kind of a track from harvest of the carcass by new lows because out of the two i would much rather listen to new lows because i just think they're the fucking best but uh, this song is called uh, The Pounding and the Hollering uh, by New Lows.
So kind of coming out of that sound of the, you know, 2011, 2012, with that new low song we just listened to. And then again, the, the code orange kind of, of, of 2012 before they started evolving, there was kind of one last sound that death wish had a huge part in, in kind of developing in, in bringing into, and this would be actually kind of out of all of this, which is, which is funny, probably their most commercially successful, at least in terms of bringing it into the pitchforks again of the world um, is this kind of sound of, you know, there was, they kind of flirted around it with like Oathbreaker and, you know, there's the, the Touche Amores and the Pianos Become the Teeth and the Lomo Prietas, those kind of bands. But the one that really, really worked for Death Wish was uh, Deaf Heaven and this kind of like big kind of emotional black metal influence, but also it's in the screamo. And I mean, we mean screamo in the kind of in that truer sense of sense, term yeah. uh you know there's still elements of of again of like black metal and metal and even like power violence kind of stuff but that kind of sound that they help bring i mean i know deaf heavens moved on to i think they're on like anti is the label they're on now but that was a huge departure for death wish sound wise but also a huge kind of success for after doing all the kind of more hardcore metalcore stuff for so long their biggest output of the last eight years other than you know converge is dev heaven yeah they leading up to to dev heaven well dev heaven were part of it but sunbather hadn't happened yet but kind of after all these albums came out that we're talking about uh death which started doing a few like some pretty interesting signings so if you were following along as it, it was can it raise an eyebrow but in a good way you weren't skeptical it was like oh okay this is because we had a certain amount of trust in converge and converge were still releasing albums that were uh departures themselves converge weren't releasing you feel me again and again each converge album was 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 pretty exploratory and pretty different uh but you started to see this trend where uh death wish was really courting a new scene uh that i've heard referred to as the wave <laughs> and i don't really know why i guess like i'm the, the the new wave i don't know maybe there's a reason for that you, you mentioned some of these bands but this this stuff were like these really emotionally in tune, very purist back to basics approach to emo and screamo that you might get from the early nineties uh, or something like page 99, uh, but supercharged with a really almost at times grindcore bent, which some, you know, there's some debate as to what the proper terminology is. I hear the word scrams yeah, uh, I hear the word screamo. I hear the word, I hear the name power violence. Uh, whatever, whatever, uh, whatever sticks. I guess we'll. I, I I'm just gonna for for easy use say screamo because that makes the most sense to me. They they had it's kind of similar to the to the Bannon thing where they had a really established uh, design 
um, aesthetic to their album covers. Like their album covers, album covers were always immaculate examples of, of good graphic design. Uh, almost like you'd see on, in fact, I think the guitarist of Touche Amore who would do a lot of these designs did one of the Britney Spears album covers. He was a graphic designer and he, he did one of the Britney Spears albums. Good for him, getting paid. Yeah. So this, this really kind of, I'm not saying this like with derision, but a real like art school kind of um, thing going on. And again, not so much as Code Orange, but it, it could be very, uh, very interesting, the mashups of genres. So, so to get a blast beat and a freak out and like a really screamy freak out uh, th that you might hear in like Napalm Death amidst a really sensitive thing that you'd hear from like, I don't know, Red House Painters kind of thing. <laughs> like, I don't know, like just like straight up emo. Uh, that, that was becoming the new Death Wish signature. And, but I don't think we were complaining because I think we were like, you know what? Harvest of the Carcass and Seizures and Barren Praise had come out and they were great. And let's see what's next, right? Um, yeah. So Death, uh, sorry, Death Heaven was a little bit different because they weren't, I wouldn't consider them part of this wave sound, even though they were pretty adjacent to it, but they had this um, like, if you consider Wolves in the Throne Room style of US black metal. Yeah, like kind of atmospheric -y at times, very big, like operatic almost in terms of the music, not the vocals necessarily, sometimes they are, but the music itself was very, uh, I'm gonna use this word for the second time, but grandiose, like very big. Yeah, absolutely. Even from their first record that they released through Death Wish. And I think our, our you and I discussing it at the time, this is like going on 12 years ago, 11 years ago, um, prior to Sunbather, their second record, I think we were like, it's cool, but it it feels a little um, instant gratification-y. Yeah. Like a lot of these emotional crescendos, I'm surprised it's been three episodes and I haven't talked about KO Dot yet, but I'm going to talk about KO Dot <laughs> now. <laughs> you know, the first KO Dot record is like a masterclass in modulating and, and, and managing crescendos, you know, building to something. Sorry, for those who don't know Alec, not talking about Dot for like, I don't know how many hours now we've put to like th three and a half hours or whatever our total is like incredible. A huge for, for amount Dot to not huge have come We'll do a Dot episode one day. <laughs> I'm sure we will. Uh, <laughs> but but Death Heaven did not have it. Death Heaven was crescendo right out of the gate. And it, you know, I, I don't know, like in terms of a songwriting approach, I was like, I, I don't know if, um, it, if I can embrace that because it's so earnest and so emotional immediately. Yeah. It didn't, but it, it didn't get there. It didn't, it didn't do the work to kind of get there in the song. And these songs are like 10 minutes long. So you're, you're coasting on a climax for, from, from the get-go all the way through to the end. Well, and think of our last episode talking about kind of the, the pillars and the virtues of heavy music. And so much of what we were talking about were about kind of how like tensions and contrasts work together. Uh, 
you know, a, a deaf heaven, especially on Sunbather, doesn't have that. If for, for this for this music that's so big, mm-hmm. it's kind of big the whole time. There there aren't builds to kind of release, you know, uh, and I and I think that's like kind of interesting where. I don't know what that says about Deaf Heaven and their popularity and, and their success. Like, I think that's all very cool and good for them, but it's just interesting. Like, you know, when you don't, especially cause their songs are so long that you don't, as a listener, you're just thrown right into the biggest part almost right away. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. And so they release in 2013, a uh, sunbather, their, their, their sophomore effort. And it's a it's a massive massive hit. I mean, I don't know what that translates to in in dollar in dollars, but it, it was just a, like a it was just kind of like a cultural phenomenon. Like you, like I feel like it really breached the mainstream. Even like people who had no interest in metal were wearing sunbather shirts all over. All of a sudden, it was well, they a huge they moment. they made it into. Cause they became part of what, like what was referred to as like black gaze, right. That like mm-hmm. black metal shoe gaze, I guess, combo. And they, they really jumped from this. Like we're talking about the, the death wish world. They jumped into pitchfork world and became, I don't know if the, this might be the reason the instant gratification worked so well, like when we're talking about their music, but they became a band for people who didn't really like black metal to get into that style of, of music. Cause they are like, they are a lot of their sound, like they're a black metal band in a lot of ways, but they don't have the, I mean, even just their, the album cover. I mean, I love the album cover of sunbather. I will say that uh, yeah. designed by the touche Mori guy. Uh, but you know, th- that album cover when you think that it's kind of it, the music's black metal like it's this purposeful kind of it lets you dip your toe in the water of this sound without getting into kind of the forests of norway yeah and i think that a lot of what we were talking about you know these these um these these qualities of extremity that are there most people can see those qualities. It's just the delivery mechanism is either distasteful or intimidating or off-putting or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Deaf Heaven took a lot of those intrinsic qualities and, and, and credit to them because Sunbather is not a sellout album, man. It's not, like, <laughs> you know, it didn't, <laughs> it, it, it stays pretty, pretty true to to scrams and and black metal for that matter i consider it a a valid extension of those styles i don't see it as a you know a lot of a lot of snobs are gonna say oh deaf heaven is the worst thing that's happened to the black metal community because everyone co-opted it all of a sudden no i think i think sunbather is should be rightfully considered alongside dark throne and, and like in terms of its impact on black metal i think it's totally a legit black metal album uh, it's just that the delivery mechanism of Sunbather, like show, for whatever reason, was able to show people the qualities in in a really 
and, and like a really sugary pill, you know? Yeah. So, so they're getting the medicine, but it's, it's sugar coated. And again, that is not, that's not shade. That's just like, look at the album cover. It's, it's sun-kissed bright pink. Like that is a sugary. Yeah. Very purposeful. Casing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, so kind of in, in summary of everything we've talked about, not to be formal about moving kind of towards the end of the episode, but you know, I think we've kind of touched on there's there's a lot of other awesome death wish bands i'll just touch on a couple of super quickly like just listing them i loved ludax uh obviously bands like um united nations this is hell uh cult leader we, we kind of touched upon loma prieta uh the hope conspiracy teeth yeah the, the hope conspiracy on, yeah. uh pulling teeth like so many bands either signed to death wish or released some albums through them or gave them doom writers or whatever yeah do like so many so many bands like we've only kind of touched upon it i think to do like an actual deep dive of a death wish impact and all the bands would take like five hours yeah like so death wish is still sick let's 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 oh yeah and they're still the they're still sick we're not this yeah. isn't about the rise and fall of death wish i just think that sunbather represents kind of the the end of an era but that's not like that that era ending doesn't mean it all went to pot like death wish stayed really interesting and really good uh, and for day. a long time and it's by bringing in like even though we might not have been the biggest fans of one of the styles of things that death wish was purposely doing they've done they've done this a few times. I think that's why I kept kind of going back and pointing out the different sounds that kind of came out of death wish. Cause they were bringing in all these different things and most of them really worked for me. And I think for you as well. And it just shows like for, you know, 10 years, death wish hardcore was kind was of hardcore. Very, yeah. It was this very specific thing and this alternative to other kind of trends going on, whether it was, you know, it kind of started with the new metal side of things. And then a lot of the emo bands that were coming out on like the victory records of the world, uh, the gent sound kind of coming out. There's always been this constant death wish counterpunch to all of that, that always kind of worked for me. And outside of that, there was, I don't know, this kind of culture built around hardcore i mean converge kind of started a whole culture and a lot of the the music that death wish was putting out kind of showed the evolution of that showed the impact of that culture and it extended to you know going going to shows and enjoying hardcore uh super communal you know um maybe that's in retrospect, like a lot of stuff kind of comes out that maybe it wasn't the most communal at all times, but it felt like it at the time. It could be, um, it could be a little insufferable, but yeah. it could also be really neat in a way that like, like when you and I go to like uh, a death metal show, which is probably the majority of shows we have been going to recently and maybe the past three or four that we've been to together. And for the record, when I say three or four, that's, that's pretty good for a year for us, I would say, at least at this point in our, my life or your life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you know, one every quarter, let's say we'll go to a show every quarter. And it's usually like a New York death metal band. At least it has been for the last while. Uh, it's, it's, you, you don't talk to anybody really. And it's just, and that's fine. It's just a bunch of people standing around and take, you know, enjoying it for themselves. But like the hardcore scene was like, it was like, that was your life. You know, those yeah. were your friends. That was your Friday night. You weren't going to the club. You were going to the, to the punk show. Yeah. And I didn't, I never saw that for anything else. I also think um, that's like, that's like our age too, I think. Uh, but uh, Death Wish more than any other label codified this idea that hardcore was for everyone. Cause I think prior to it, there's this meme that's been going around uh, like of uh I think the singer of harm's way it's like a harm's way performance and he's terrifying looking like he's just a massive man yeah i, I saw them here a couple summers ago when they played with uh fuming mouth and jesus peace yeah yeah like he's he's like he, he's this mountain of a dude who will just tear your fucking head off if you looked at him funny like i'm i don't know he's probably like a really nice dude but um but to look at him, you know, so, so there's this meme going on where Harm's Way starts, but starts playing and he's like kind of doing this, this dance, this head banging type dance. But the, the meme is that they put different kinds of music underneath, <laughs> like, like kind of like harmless music. So, so everyone's kind of like take on, take on me by a huh. Yeah. Yeah. But this, this dude is just thrashing to, yeah. But that's, you know, I call, I call it the white Massachusetts longshoreman, <laughs> like this big, scary guy. Yeah. Like, who, like that's what hard, that, that's, that's who, um, who hardcore was for. Uh, yeah. Tough, least, tough guy, hardcore, tough, right? tough guys, but, yeah. but that was hardcore. Tough guy, hardcore was hardcore. Sick of it all. Throw down all that shit. That's what hardcore was from like 95 to fucking 2002. I feel like you, you were a tough boston longshoreman if you listen to hardcore but death wish you know um i feel like it brought it brought the idea that hardcore is for everybody uh you, you could you could any you didn't have to be part of this very sort of brutalist uh sort of um man, mountain man yeah kind of tough guy well, and it took, I, we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but it also took that like pretentiousness out of, out of it. Like a lot of metal can be kind of nose up at other people. Like when it comes to like death metal and technical stuff and for all the stuff where we said, you know, converge would get kind of technical and all that, you know, hardcore was a lot more kind of human and, and welcoming in a way, like, you were just allowed to listen to it. Like you didn't have to be snooty about it. You didn't have to, there wasn't this uh, preciousness around it or this velvet rope, even though as you, you kind of mentioned the velvet rope metaphor for uh, uh, Jane Doe, but regardless the genre as a whole and all this kind of music we've talked about, there wasn't a velvet rope around it. So and there, there wasn't a barrier to entry to play it either. I yeah, think there's a not reason at all. you and I, when we started a band, we wanted to do something that sounded kind of like trap them yeah because the barrier to entry it, i think as time went by given our tastes we want it we aspire to doing more technical things 
but the core no pun intended the <laughs> core of see I, I got my own i stuck yeah. my own in uh the core of the sound is 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 not overly uh busy and technical yeah so if you want to start a band and you want to play hardcore with your friends and 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 open for 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 these bands at your local show you can do that too because you know by by design these songs are not you know they're not symphony pieces right with that thank you for listening to episode three of here wax two uh hope you enjoyed the episode and uh, alec don't call me i won't call you i, I won't call you that's right <laughs>